0: In Isaiah 14, Satan said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself the Most High. Now remember, Satan was the most beautiful, perfect thing that God ever created. And this is his response. He thought he was so beautiful. He thought he was so wonderful that he could actually be God. And so we see that he was seeking his own glory. He was full of pride. There's nothing else that compared to him in the created order. He was selfish. He did not want to submit to God. This is the mind of our own sin nature. This is how we're born into this world. Every one of us is we have the nature of Adam. And so... This is hard for us to see sometimes because that's how we think. That's how we grow up. We're not thinking about these spiritual aspects of things. We just want to control our own lives. We don't want God to control our lives, really. Not until we come to know the Lord. But God responded to Satan by saying, but you were brought down to Sheol, or hell, to the far reaches of the pit. God's saying that he was going to bring down Satan. He's God, Satan's not. He's not going to put up with that. He's going to bring down his selfishness and his pride and his desires to be God. So Satan was foolish. He didn't understand what he was really saying. He didn't understand that he could defeat the creator. He wasn't able to understand that God was willing to move over and let him be God. There's no possibility that he could succeed the creator is the one that was in control and always has been and always will be. And so we are born into this world with this same kind of desire to control our own lives, to be in charge, not have anybody else tell us how we're going to live our lives, especially God. We want the things of this world for ourselves, and we're going to fight, kick, scream, and manipulate so we can get those things. That's what our sin nature looks like. And it's very helpful that we see that. We live for our own self-glory. We look for things that will bless us in this world. Money, things. We want to play God. That's the bottom line. And so our, our minds need to be renewed. So as we come into the kingdom of God, as we're born again, Everything just doesn't say, boom, okay, now you're thinking like this. As we come into the kingdom of God, our minds need to be constantly renewed. I mean, think how opposite the mind of Christ is to the mind of Satan. Jesus chose to be humble, he did that himself. He rejected Satan's offer of the kingdoms of this world. We're going to see how Christ's mind was humble and how God exalted him as a result. The way up in the kingdom of God is down. I'm sure most of you have heard that at some point. Humble yourself and God will exalt you. The greatest among you is the servant of all. Is that how you want to be great? Or have you got other ways you want to be great? And so Paul's exhorting the Philippian church to have the mind of Christ not the mind of Satan. So be warned, whenever you try to exalt yourself, God will humble you. Pride goes before fall. The greater you think you are, the more you're going to fall because God loves you. And so the way forward for us is to humble ourselves and to serve and to love like Jesus. And that's what we're going to see in this passage. The mind of our sin nature is self-exaltation and self-love, whereas the mind of Christ is servanthood and humility. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8. Even death on a cross. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. Father, we thank you uh, for your word this morning. And even as we are thinking about your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, enable us, you would empower us to open our hearts to it, to be easily instructed to accept it and apply it to our hearts. For you are gracious and a great God, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you're here this morning with us, that your spirit indwells every believer in this church. And we expect you, Lord, to glorify your name, to encourage those who need encouraging, to minister to those who are downcast, and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, our first point is, what was Jesus like before he became a man? Now, this is important because you have to understand what he gave up, right? You have to understand that to appreciate what he did when he actually became the man. So it's important that we understand the mind of Christ this way. He's the one that chose to do that. That's his mindset. He chose to come and and live amongst us. And so verses 6 and 7 say, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So before the creation of the earth, before Jesus became a man, he was the eternal son of God. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was God the Son. It was the glory of God then to send Jesus into the darkness of this world. He sent Jesus because he loves us. He sent Jesus to save us because it's impossible for us to save ourselves. So Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 15 through 19, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so we behold the glory of Jesus. We read those things, and he's the one that emptied himself. I mean, what did he have to gain? He already had it all. He was preeminent, it says. There wasn't any more love that he could experience. He didn't experience pain. Everything he had, he shared. He was in the midst of the love of the Trinity. And he was in full possession of a divine nature. He had nothing to gain as far as it's selfish or personal but he had everything to gain if he values you and me. And so that was his choice. He looked into the darkness of this world, and he said, yeah, these children of God are worth saving. I'm willing to empty myself. I'm willing to take on the form of a a baby, a human baby. Just amazing! I just uh, as I thought about this and pondered it as I was preparing, I just—it's just amazing. It blows you away when you understand how much He had and was willing to empty Himself for us. He created everything, including Satan and all the angels. He was a spirit. He didn't have flesh in heaven. He was a spirit. And he was infinite, infinite, without end, in his being, his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, and truth. He is truth. This is just amazing. And he was eternal and unchangeable in those same things, in his being, his wisdom, his power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So when we see these things, it helps us understand and comprehend the glory in which he lived before he entered this creation. And yet he chose to do it. And we see in his prayer in John 17, 5, as he was preparing to die, he said, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I want to get back to that. I want to return to that glory and that wonderful place, that perfect existence. And so it was the mind of Christ then, the king of glory, to shed that glory. All these things that were eternal for him and unchangeable and were infinite without end to take on the form of a servant. The king of kings became a servant in his created order. He shed his glory and emptied himself for you and for me. That's the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ? Is that how you think about things? Are you emptying yourself? Second point is what did Jesus choose to do for us? As Jesus entered this world, he decided to do what was necessary to save us. He chose, so these are all choices. He chose to go through a great change to himself. He chose to show us what a true human should be like. Jesus is the true humanity. That's who we're to be like. As we look at Jesus, that's what we're supposed to see and and be like. So he had all of these qualities. And so he chose then to assume human form as a baby in Mary's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit. And verse seven then it says he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. He chose to become weak. He chose to become poor. And he left heaven and entered the creation under those conditions, knowing ahead of time what would happen. He counted the cost. and He said, you're worth it. You're worth it. For example, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, Mary Poppins. (laughs) But uh, there's a a scene in there. There's a a guy by the name of Bert. And it's played by uh, Dick Van Dyke. And he's really good at doing chalk drawings on the sidewalk. And so there's this one scene where he's made this wonderful chalk drawing on the sidewalk and Mary Poppins shows up with the two kids that she's watching over. And they actually enter into the chalk drawing. And they had this wonderful adventure in this little chalk drawing that was the creation of Bert. Right? A lot of imagination being used there. But the idea here is that we are seeing Christ, as we look into these scriptures, entering into the creation, the one that He made, and so this is what's going on. It's sort of a parallel thing. It's almost beyond you know understanding. And so Jesus proved that He loved you. He proved that He loves you more than life itself, because He gave His life up for you. That's the mind of Christ. Do you have the mind of Christ? What's the price for you to love other people like Jesus loves you? How far are you willing to go? Isaiah 53.2 says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by men and a man of sorrows. So when anyone saw Jesus walking around in the flesh during his life on earth, there was nothing special about him. He wasn't a foot taller than everybody else, like King Saul was. He wasn't stronger than anybody else. He hadn't killed any lions or anything like that. Just kind of an average guy. To see him, you wouldn't know there was any glory about him. It was all in the inside. It was his mind. It was how he thought, how he handled himself, the words that he used, the way he was a servant for other people. Verse 8 says that Jesus chose to humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here we see Jesus subjecting himself to something that had no power over him, death. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus didn't have a sin nature. He would have lived forever unless he chose to go to the cross. What an amazing thing that is. No natural means would have killed Jesus. And so the mind of Christ chose to die for you. And this is love. So do you have that mind of Christ? Where do you need to die to self? Where do you need to humble yourself? Where do you need to... Show your spouse and your children how you're serving them and helping them become the best possible version of a Christian they can possibly be. If you're single, where do you need to humble yourself with your friends and draw them closer and closer to Christ? The mind of Christ chose to become a curse on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, very familiar to most of us, for our sake he made himself to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. The mind of Christ chose to redeem us from the curse. Do you have anybody around you who's not a believer, a close friend, an acquaintance? Do they know Christ through you? by the way you humble yourself, the way you serve them. All the sins that we will ever commit will be laid on Jesus. He was the Paschal lamb, volunteering to receive the holy wrath of God that we deserve. He chose to forgive our sins and to suffer in our place, the cost of his own life. All the suffering, pain, and rejection he endured, he received willingly. He chose to do so that we might be saved. And then, after all that, amazing things, he gave us his righteousness. That's unbelievable. So that we have a standing before God that's really his standing before God, sinless standing before God. That's the mind of Christ. Suffer for other people that they might live. Who do you need to forgive? We all need to stop condemning people. I mean, I catch myself doing that. My wife and I have a sort of a a deal, if you will. If you hear me saying something like that, please let me know. Because our sin nature is just getting the upper hand at that particular moment. Condemning somebody, not bringing them life. We need to be praying for those people, not condemning them. That brings us to our third point. How does the church develop the mind of Christ? Because we all fall short in some way, shape, or form, don't we? Jesus became like us so that we might become like him. We're a work in progress. He redeemed us from the penalty of sin. He gave us new hearts. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's indwelt us. He's made us part of the body of Christ. All these beautiful things and many more. And so what he's doing is he's increasing the fruit of the Spirit, which is his character in us more and more with each passing day. He's increasing our love and our joy and our peace and our patience and our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness, our gentleness and our self-control. These are all things that he's working in and increasing in us. For example, how does he deepen the intensity of our love to be more like his love? Because we know we're not there yet. How does he renew our mind so that we have the mind of Christ? How do we think like Jesus thinks and act like Jesus acted? Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world's thinking, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Oh, there you go. Well, how do you do that? How are our minds renewed? Well, I would submit to you, it's by reading and living the Word of God. The mind of Christ is revealed in the Scriptures. And that's what He did. He perfectly obeyed the Scriptures. In the two readings we had this morning from Psalm 119, 105 through 112, and in John 14, both things are talking about the power and the presence and doing the Word of God we see it also in James 1, through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Wow. So there you see how these things begin to work. You know, how many times, you know, do you come in here on a Sunday morning, and usually by the time you get home, you've forgotten everything you heard in here this morning. Probably couldn't say much about what was in the sermon or maybe some of the other readings and all. I mean, this is, this is what happens. James is talking to churchgoers. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to people that are born again, that have received these beautiful gifts that I just named off. The problem is, am I just here this morning because I can check the mark? I attended church, I'm a good person. But the word of God is not impacting me, it's not changing me, it's not helping me. So, I'm not being blessed. I'm being good, my eyes. I've got my rules. So, the question then are we applying the Word of God as we hear it? Is it changing your heart? Is it changing how you live and love? Because God is the one that shows us what true love is like. What is it? look like to love other people not what I think is love it's what Jesus thinks is love so where am I doing the word and so the question then is do I hunger to love like Jesus loves is that really rising up in my heart something I truly desire are you reading the Bible regularly on the rest of the week because you want to learn more you want to be a better lover you want to be a more powerful servant. You wanna have the mind of Christ. And so when you read the word, does it change you? Are you just putting in your 10 minute reading every day? Now I've done that, but it's not something that's challenging your heart. Are you doing what you're reading? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin? So the question is, do you repent? Are you repenting? Right? Are you turning away from God? Excuse me, turning away from your sin? And then turning towards God? And that's important because it's in that way that your selfish desires, your pride, are the ones that take the hit and you're changing and you're developing the mind of Christ. And in addition, you know, so often we, we don't like it when we go through hard times. Either people or conditions that we're presented with. But very often that's how our minds are being renewed the fastest. You know, this is why James says, count it all joy, you are fall on various types of problems. But we don't want that. We don't say, wow, you know, I can't wait for that next trial, <laughs> Right? But what happens when we face these trials and tribulations, they act like a refiner's fire. And they show us how much we don't love other people. Think about if you're married here this morning, what's it like when the two spouses disagree, you know? Usually you wanna go to the opposite corners of the ring, (laughs) right? Spend a little time by yourself. You wanna get away from your spouse. That's normal. This is what happens. And so that's when you're faced with, wow, if you're going to take an internal look for yourself and not keep blaming your partner and keep running over how you can win the argument, you say, okay, Lord, what was my part? Then you'll see, wow, I just wasn't very loving there. When you see that you're not being very loving and you take the responsibility for the part where you're not loving there's a beautiful change that takes place as you repent. And so your partner should be repenting as well. And then as both of you spent time before the Lord and, asking, ask, and you're asking God to change you, now you want to get back together. Together, You should be meeting in the middle with both saying, I am so sorry how I hurt you. I have spent time before the Lord and I've asked him to change my heart so I will not repeat that sin anymore. That's a beautiful picture. And so the hotter the flames, the trials, the more you'll be challenged in the difficulty of loving, loving other people. <laughs> but you will grow as you take that before the Lord. So are you praying for those who persecute you like Jesus did? Are you obeying the word of God the same way that Jesus did to the point of death? Are you salt and light like Jesus was? Are you ever sinfully angry? Jesus wasn't. Which is your highest priority, building God's kingdom or building your own kingdom? Do you treat other people the way that you want to be treated? Do you forgive the way that Jesus forgives or do you condemn others? When we come face to face with how we're not loving the way Jesus loves, it should humble us. Jesus humbled himself under the word of God, even though he never broke it, but he always obeyed it perfectly. That's why it says in verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He obeyed God to the point of death. So is that where we are? Is that what we're thinking? When we see in James 4, 6 through 10, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God or the word of God, whichever way you put in there. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We just sang about that. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You want to know God better? Humble yourself. Obey the word. Repent and you'll get closer to God. Cleanse your hand, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's exactly what happened to Christ. There is grace for those that humble themselves, who are applying the word of God to their lives. Our hearts are being changed, being convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they're growing and maturing. And so here, what this is telling us is that we should be mourning and we should be weeping when we are convicted by sin. That's the opposite of love when you continue to just hurt people. When you're seeing that sin is saying, I can't stand to be that way anymore. I beg you, Lord, please change my heart, please change my desires to act like that anymore. That's far different than saying, Oh, I'm so sorry I hurt you. I'm so, I mean that's just manipulation. I'm sorry. Are you sorry enough to repent? Are you sorry enough that you want to change so that you become more loving and you're thinking with the mind of Christ? You see, what happens is we're blessed when we do that repenting, when we apply the word, when we grow. It's so easy just to say you're sorry, isn't it? But the people around you know if there's true change because they'll see if you've, you're going to act like that again. You do have to walk around you with eggshells, right? Oh, I don't want to offend that person. Maybe I'm the guy that you're thinking about. <laughs> but, uh, it's hard not to condemn people, especially people that hurt you. And so what the Lord is doing when we're convicted of sin is that we're growing and increasing in the mind of Christ. We're growing and increasing in our love for other people. We're increasing in our joy because there's a joy that comes in this. We're increasing in our peace with God. We're increasing in our patience with other people and our kindness towards other people and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All these things are fruit of the character of Christ that's being developed in us and we're beginning to think like Christ thinks, we're having the mind of Christ. And so this is a great promise for all believers. But I have to ask you this question. You know, a lot of things are, well, before I ask the question. (laughs) So this church does a great job with the small groups. You know, this week there's going to be questions that have come out of this sermon that are going to be discussed in small groups. And so a lot of times then the word of God is being applied. And that's a beautiful thing. And I want to encourage you in continuing to do that. If you're not in a small group, that's a great thing that I would encourage you to start doing. As we're pulling along beside one another and helping each other apply the Word of God to us. But here's the question Are you refusing to bow your heart before the Word of God? What do I mean by that? Are you hearing what's being talked about in here on Sunday mornings? And are you a doer of the Word? Are you reading the scriptures during the week at home, hungering for more of the knowledge of what it means to have the mind of Christ? Are you re- because you're making a choice. You might be a very nice person on the outside. <laughs> but if you're not reading the Word, then you can't apply the Word. If you want to grow in likeness, that's not going to happen unless you know more of the Word of God. And so I would encourage those who are married here to submit yourself to your spouse and say, will you please hold me accountable in terms of reading the word of God? Very loving and gentle thing because guess who lives with you? <laughs> your spouse. And they know exactly how much time you're spending in the word. And they love you. So they're not there to condemn you for it, but to encourage you in it. So it's key. You know, we're actually refusing to read the word of God if we're not doing it. No matter how nice you are. (laughs) But I want you to know that it's not too late. If that's been your attitude or is your attitude, it's not too late. Because the grace of God is greater. And He wants the mind of Christ. God wants the mind of Christ being established in you more and more and more. Now, don't feel guilty if you miss a day reading the word of God, that type of thing. We're not talking about that. But in a general sense, are you hungry? Do you want to read the word of God more? Do you want to be changed? Do you want to become more and more thinking like Christ thinks? Have the mind of Christ? you want that desire? So there's grace for you. So when we go to the Lord's table here in just a little few minutes. I would encourage you, if you're struggling with being in the word on a regular basis, bring that to the communion table because it's a table of grace. And say, Lord, please give me a greater desire to be in the word. That I might be a more loving person. I might be a more humble person. I might be the servant of all. I want the mind of Christ. So ask him for that and he will deliver that to you. Now, I want to leave you with an image. Okay, so Christ is the head of the church, right? We all can agree on that. And the church is the body of Christ. So as we think about that, then if we have the mind of Christ, then the mind of Christ is always directing the body in the way that the mind of Christ is thinking and doing, right? So he gives us commands, he gives us commissions, he gives us ways to love and and, and relate to one another, all these different things. And so it's a corporate understanding as well as individual. So when all the individuals are moving in the same direction in the mind of Christ, then we're all kind of coordinated, we're moving along, looks good like this, right? Well, what happens when we don't all have the mind of Christ? Got all kinds of problems going on in there inside of the body. So we're almost like this kind of spastic kind of, you know, body of Christ moving around because we don't all agree on the mind of Christ. So in order to be a blessing to this church, then we all need to have this mind of Christ. So we're all accomplishing through this church what it is that God's calling this church to do in this geographical area and to advance his kingdom. And this is something that Paul's already stated in verse 2 of chapter 2. He said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So this is, this is a thread that goes through all these first verses of chapter 2. And may the Lord help us to have the mind of Christ together. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your great grace and mercy that's ours in Christ. Thank you that you've given us the ability to hear, to understand, to humble ourselves before you and know that you will change the desires of our hearts. We thank you for the love that you have and the patience that you have with us as we grow and mature as young Christians into more and more mature Christians. Help us, Lord. We need you. We praise you. We thank you for the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.